glad it's going to be a wonderful night tonight, amen? amen. Well, how many have been touched by just the uh, anniversary? Oh, thanks. <laughs> Some of you may not know, that's my brother-in-law, just so you know. Aaron, why don't you stand up? This is his sister, my wife. Amen. And so uh, we've been around the family, obviously, for some time, and uh, that's why this, to me, is very meaningful. Uh, number one, that, uh, and of course, you know, he didn't ask me to, to be one of the speakers because I'm a brother-in-law, you know, I've, I've ministered at the church a number of times, so, you know, that, that wasn't it. Uh, he made comment in reference to the fact, last time I was here, the Lord said, have me come, all right? So I uh, thank God for the leading of the Lord. But every time that I've come to the church from kind of at the beginning, all through these years, it's always been real special for me to be a part of what uh, Mark and Amy are doing. Amen. And uh, they just have wonderful hearts for the Lord. Our conversations over the years that we've had have been extremely stimulating and wonderful, talking about Jesus. And, you know, the backroom talk that we talk about is just how to get it to work better. What can we do to increase the anointing? What can we do to get better results? Um, what kind of things are you sharing, you know, in the day? And he would ask, what kind of things am I sharing? Those are the kind of things we talk about. And just have some really wonderful conversations. Amen. Amen. And one of the things that I love, and of course, family helps, but, um, you know, when we're talking, uh, it's all kind of good. You don't have to protect yourself in what you say. In other words, you can be wrong. I'll say this again, you've heard me say it before, this is a very important principle, uh, if you can't, if you're not willing to be wrong, you'll, you, you won't be right. You have to be willing to be wrong in order to be right. You have to be willing to lose something in order to actually have it. And you have to be willing to die in order to live. I know we hang on so preciously, you know, with our pride to our opinion, but our opinion at the end of the day doesn't really mean that much. It'd be better to have God's opinion, amen? amen? And that's what happens, you know, when you, when you get around circles where all they're concerned about is just another doctrine. It gets real heady, it gets real pharisaical, and people get really into whether or not you're right or not. I'd rather, in one sense, you know, not always be right, but get somebody healed than to be right and not have it work at all, right? I'd be willing to be wrong and get my own prayer answered than to be so perfectly right that I can't even get my own prayer answered, let alone someone else's, right? So when it boils down to it, you know, we, we have to look at things that we think that are important, and when the end of the day comes, you realize they're really not. You know, think about someone at the end of their life. At the end of their life, what's really important besides God, and even those that don't have God in their life, is people, the people that were important to them. I remember my father on his deathbed, and right before he passed, my sister had come out, and my, my father and my sister were both a little bit uh, strong-willed, you know. Um, I'm not that at all. <laughs> I'm actually more like my mom, but anyhow, um, my sister and, and my, my dad are just a little bit, they butted heads a little bit, and um, I remember because, you know, we were, we were so much more open um, as a family, myself and my mom and dad. And one of the reasons was because uh, after my freshman year at college, I got really embarrassed um, listening to a girl that I was dating at that time talk to her father 
And every other word was, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. You know, and she just said it so many times, two or three times as she was hanging up the phone. And then when she hung up the phone, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot half the time. I looked at her and said, man, you really love your daddy, don't you? <laughs> and then she looked at me and she said, well, don't you love yours? So I couldn't wait, you know, for the next day to make a phone call. So I went to the phone. And of course, you know, it was collect back in those days, you know. You're at college, you know, it's always collect, you know. And dad, you know, he's on the phone and we had a really good talk, you know, just, just things are going on and right towards the end of the phone call, you know, I thought, here it comes. I got sweaty palms, you know, and I'm just really nervous and really quick. Well, dad, I guess it's time to go. Uh, okay. Uh, love you, dad. And, and on the other end, it was like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, that didn't go really well. Man, that was terrible. <laughs> so that bothered me so bad, you know, for the next couple of weeks until school was out. And then I went home that I was just, you know, I'm, I'm going to change this family. I'm telling you what. So, you know, one night they're asleep, you know, and I just jumped, jumped right in the middle of them out of a dead sleep. And they just woke up and said, what's wrong? What's wrong, son? What's wrong? And I said, nothing's wrong. At least nothing's wrong with me. I said, well, what do you need to talk about? I said, well, I said, I know you love me because you prove it all the time with the things that you do, but you never tell me. And I said, and whether you ever tell me you love me or not, from this night forward, I'm going to tell you I love you. Well, they were just, you know, undone, you know, just crying and hugging me and holding me. You know, we love you. We just grew up in families that didn't ever tell anyone, you know, and <laughs> and I said, well, is it going to change? Yes, yes, it's going to change. <laughs> so we had, we've always had that, you know, because of that moment, you know. And, uh, but my sister didn't have that. And so here my dad, you know, on his deathbed, and he wasn't asking, you know, for me to, you know, polish the car before he died. One thing was on his mind. I saw it so clearly. He couldn't talk really well. My sister said, well, Dad, it's time for me to go. And he said, and she said, well, I, I got to go, Dad. And she leaned down far enough. He reached up, grabbed her head, pulled it right down to his chest, and just kept saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Ten times went by, and she broke. And she said, I love you back. And then he was gone. That's it. What was important? That was important. Amen? So this world is real glittery, you know, but almost everything in it will pull you away from the anointing and pull you away from your purpose. So tonight, let's just focus for a few moments, and the things that we share will be minimal, but I believe extremely important because God wants to touch people tonight. I believe there's impartations. You know, I can look at the front row and I can look at the pastors over here and pastors over here. And, you know, we can just say, you know what, guys, it's time to just do this with God, you know, and just not care about anything. But it's you that are here that's going to take this next phase of what God wants to do. And the testimonies are going to come from you. Amen? And your pastors will be up there and they'll be rooting you on because the work of the Lord is you. Amen? It's always been that. 
I know the ministry has, has stolen the spotlight for so many years and made people to think that the only ones that can do it are those that are called and appointed specially by God to do the works of the ministry. Don't mess with me. I'm anointed. <laughs> Amen? But that's so far from the truth. Our position is to raise you up to do better than us is to take whatever God has accomplished through us and give a piece of that consciousness to you where you actually think you can do it too and would be bold enough right out where, wherever you're at to tell somebody, you know what, that cancer is going to die. Well, what makes you say so? The Jesus that's living in me makes me say so. Now, you can have it or you cannot have it. But if you want it, come and get it. Amen? Amen? I mean, it's time for the church to stand up and say so. Isn't there a scripture that says something like that? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, Father, I thank you for these people tonight. It'll be awesome. The impartations, Lord, will flow like rivers of living water. I thank you, Lord, for words that'll come from heaven. Lord, the power that'll drive out all disease. I thank you, Lord, for miracles in this place. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to use it tonight. Use what? Well, the Bible. Amen. We got off telling stories last night. That's Like I said, I'm not going to take any of it back because when you have such amazing teaching that goes before you, it does really release you to be able to just start to minister to people and do a whole lot more on that particular side because the word's already been given. There's a foundation already laid. No one's going to get weird from a ministry time without a whole lot of, of one scripture after another when you've had so many wonderful uh, meetings like we've had here tonight and this week. Amen? So a couple of things that are out there still. There's a couple of books out there called Where Does God Fit In? Actually, it's kind of an appropriate uh, book for the day that we live. Um, it's all up to you as to where God fits in. Amen. I actually read this uh, a few months ago. I just wanted to see what was in it, and um, I was shocked. I literally was shocked. I mean, the first three chapters are just kind of, ah, they're just kind of, you know. It, it wouldn't hurt anything if you didn't read them. <laughs> and if you did, you wouldn't get super blessed. You just say, that's nice. But from chapter four to the rest of the book, it's worth every penny of $10. I read that, and then I thought to myself, who in the world wrote this? It was that good. And then I realized that when God's helping you to write something, you read it, you know, two years later, and it'll shock you when the anointing's on you. You know, all my colleagues, I used to, I used to love this, you know, over at Rhema, because you got all kinds of really, really smart people, and then there was me. That's why I had to rely on God, you know, so much to just do the works of God, because I figured it out right away, looking at all these people preach and how amazing their, their teaching abilities were. And I looked, I thought, said, Lord, you know, I'm not going to try ever to be the best preacher. That's not what I ascribe to. I ascribe to one thing, and that is whatever I'm able actually to preach, it will work. That's the one thing. So there were so many really awesome guys, and they write all these books and everything. So my first book was Until I Come that I wrote out there, and it's actually 300 pages long. Now, the story behind it is real quick is I was over in Italy, and I was preaching on that subject in the evening time, and then that's the only time in all these years of traveling overseas that I didn't make the time change. I just always decided, and this may help somebody that, that goes overseas or international, I always decided that I, didn't, I, did, I, I would not think about time change. 
that as far as I was concerned, if it was dark at night, I sleep, and if it was light in the morning, I get up. And so I never had a problem with time change. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can't believe some of our schedules sometimes. We'll come from the East Coast to the West Coast, back to Colorado, jump on another plane, and go back to the East Coast. You say, which time frame are you on? As long as I don't think about it, and I decide that it's early in the morning, if it's light, you get up. If it's dark, you go to sleep. My body adjusts really quickly. This is the only time I didn't adjust. And then what happened is I'd preach, and I'd get back at about 11 o'clock at night, and then from 11 o'clock at night to about 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd just sit there on my little computer. It was a tiny little one, you know. And, and it was single space, and it was 10 font. And so I would just type because I'd just been freshly teaching on it. So it would just, and every time I put my fingers on the keyboards, a sentence would come. So I was really doing dictation. And I would just type, type. Five days I typed, and I got done, and I said, man, that's all I've got. And I looked at my, my, my data, you know, and it said that there was 102 pages. I said, well, I guess that's all I can write. My first book, 102 pages. So I took it to the editor and gave it to her, and she put it in 12 font, double-spaced, and it blew up to 300 pages. And it really shocked me. And so then I especially went to Doug Jones, you know, and I said, hey, Doug, I said, you know, the book you're working on right now? I said, how many pages is it going to be? He said, well, it's about 160 pages. I said, how long have you been working on it? He said, for about three or four months. I said, when are you going to be finished? In about another couple months. He said, are you working on a book? I said, I am. He said, when are you going to be finished? I said, well, I'm already finished. <laughs> he said, when did you start? I said, just last week. He said, how many pages is it? I said, it's 300. <laughs> now, let me just tell you this. I just want to share this with you. Pride goes before the fall <laughs> because I've never been able to do that since. I just, you know what I mean? Like, you shoot yourself sometimes. Like, why did I do that? Keep your mouth shut and write more in five days. You know what I mean? And now it's like a couple months. But anyhow, so just to say that uh, when the Lord's helping you to do something, you go back and read it, it can even cause you that wrote it to go, I can't believe I knew that. And it actually blesses you back. Amen. A couple of these flash drives are out there. You certainly can take a Sharpie and get rid of the picture. That's real easy. But uh, this one here is called What is Reality? There's three series to that, one, two, and three. And this is all about uh, the difference between what, will, what is a choice of spirit that connects you to the Holy Ghost and to God, and what is a choice of flesh? We don't realize sometimes how dumbed down the world is making us. Like, for instance, one of the reasons why there's not a whole lot of, um, you know, the, the fortitude that there used to be years ago to accomplish goals is because you can get on TV and watch somebody else do what you actually want to ultimately do and be somewhat satisfied with actually watching somebody else do it. If you didn't have that, then you might actually have to get off the couch and do it yourself. Now you take that into a spiritual concept and we'll do the exact same thing. We'll be satisfied watching somebody else have an experience with God or have a relationship that we would like, but as long as somebody else can actually have it, then it actually satisfies us because that's what the world does. It lulls you to sleep. And those kind of things, if we don't know it, those are the kind of things that you can actually guard yourself against once you finally are enlightened to it. Do you know the grace of God, I'll just share this real quickly, the grace of God teaches you the good things of God, but it also teaches you the negative things of God. Not the negative things of God, the negative things of the world, excuse me. In other words, it's going to guard you against negativity at the same time teaching you what's right. 
You find that over in, in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. So uh, these things have been really, really good. Now I'll just share this with you. You don't have to go out there and buy it. You can actually get it free on our new YouTube channel, which is called Adventures in Grace. And uh, it's on Tuesday and on Friday, twice a week, about 15 minutes is all we preach, and we just give little tidbits. Um, it's going to take eight years in order to finish all of what's on these. There's actually 84 hours on this. The other one, there's 87 hours, and the third one, there's about 30 hours. So when you put that all together with just 15 minutes twice a week, it comes to about eight, eight years, okay? So you can either have it right now, or you can wait eight years and have it for free. Praise the Lord. <laughs> But we're already seeing that there's a lot of folks that are actually very, very much enjoying the material because it's all about developing a tangible relationship with God. Let me, let me pose a question to you. What's the possibility that the kind of idea that I had when I grew up about a relationship with God had more to do with being connected to the church and being a good person if I could be a good person? than actually sitting down and talking with Jesus and having an ongoing, every single day, one experience after the other of God coming off the pages of Scripture and getting into my life. Is there anybody out there that also kind of grew up that way? Hmm? Maybe the emphasis was about just getting you saved and having everybody come up and hug you because now you're part of the body of Christ and you can go ahead and sign your name to a register, but as far as going further than that, because, you know, we can joy, rejoice in your salvation, but that's just a start. Like, for instance, you know, you could, you could go out uh, and, and be a part of every single marathon that's out there and not act, actually ever run one. Just start it, but not finish. He's the author and the what? The finisher of our faith. And he delights in a good finish. Amen? So thank God we're saved, but what's next? What's next is enjoying the person that you actually came into relationship with. You know, I didn't marry a love letter. Erin writes really, really well. If she were to write something, it has a lot of meaning to it because she can write really well from her heart. But when I read something she writes, what does it make you want to do but actually get with the person that just got through writing that? What about when you're on the road and she sends some of these emojis? I don't know where she gets them, you know? I don't have them on my phone, but you know, there's, there's places you can go to get some of these really cool emojis. What if there's a really cool emoji she sends you, you know, it might have a little kiss attached to it or something. Will that make you want to get home and kiss her? Wouldn't it? Or are you satisfied with the emoji? See, some that are married a real long time are thinking, I don't know what I should say about that. Come on. Everything about the relationship is the time and the tangibility that you have that produces shared experiences. Every day I'm with you, if you were to say, do you have any testimonies? I would. Some days the testimonies are better than others. Some days the testimonies, you know, have, have more in them than the others do. But because she's tangible, because she's real, every day I'm with her, I can tell you something that we've done together, something that we've talked about, and how we interacted, which is a testimony to actually what? To the time and tangibility of a relationship. And a relationship with Jesus should have testimony after testimony after testimony of the person of Christ doing things in your life constantly on a regular basis, causing you to build up so much continuity to the reality of God that when the test comes, you literally spit in the devil's face. I think Mark Hankins said, you grab a cornstalk, swing over hell and spit in the devil's face, right? What gives you the audacity to do that? That's how real God becomes to you. 
Amen. You might want to laugh a little bit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, some of those things are out there. I'm preaching some of that, and I need to get to what I'm talking about right here and right now. Colossians chapter 1, 27. I'm going to talk about the anointing tonight. Amen. Now, I just have to warn you, if we're going to talk about the anointing, it's free for everybody to go ahead and grab a hold of it and just have some experiences with God right in your seat. Amen. I remember back in the day in prayer school and healing school, I was always experimenting with the things of God. Why? Because Brother Hagen, when he told me to do prayer and healing school, I asked him, I said, now are you going to help me with this? And he said, no, I'm not going to help you. I said, well, it's your thing. He said, it's yours now. And then I looked at him kind of stunned, and he, and he looked back and he said, I had to get it by myself. You get it by yourself. Now, everything I got, I'd run over there and tell him, man, you can't believe what I did today. He said, what'd you do today? And I told him about the lady that um, I dragged on the, around the room, and she was screaming bloody murder. <laughs> and his eyes just got big, and he looked at me and said, what happened? What happened? I said, halfway around the room, power of God hit her. I heard her bones crack and pop. She went from walking in like this to being completely perfect and then outran me the rest of the way. He slapped his leg like that. He said, yeah, 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 that's right. And then for two hours later, he'd tell me stories like that of things I'd never heard. Half the time, I'd look at him and said, you did that? And he said, yeah, I do that. And I said, I've never seen you do that. He said, well, Brother Jim, let the ignorant be ignorant still. You know, he'd always do something like that, you know, just to kind of give me a hard time. So I was always interacting with him, trying to learn, experimenting. I remember one time I went over, I'd been in prayer, the anointing of God was upon me, and I said, you know, I'm just going to experiment with these, these kids, because you know, they're all on fire. There's about 300 that would come to prayer school. I went over there early and sat in, sat in a chair and put my hands on the other two chairs. I sat there for about 15 minutes, praying in other tongues, and released the power of God. Now, they told me I couldn't get it into plastic but I proved them wrong. I didn't get it in plastic, but I smothered it on. I smeared it all over the plastic. Amen. Like it'll go into cloth, right? Porous. It goes into things. We're going to share that in a minute. But I just rubbed it on the seat. And then we got up and we started ministering. I'm halfway in the middle of ministering and preaching. Those three people jumped out of their seat, took off running, bouncing all over the room. Why? Power of God came out of those seats, got into their bodies, and they didn't know what was going on. Amen. Your experiment. And when I saw that it came to pass, I realized, holy smoke, man, there's something in there. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Why do a quick draw if you don't have any bullets? <laughs> right? And if you have bullets, God know how to pull the trigger. Right? So we would do this all the time, experiment with these things. So when we're reading something like, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this isn't in a figurative sense that he's in you. This is in a real sense. See, spiritual things are real, much more real than physical things. I remember Brother Hagin making this comment so many times. You've heard me probably make it before. But he said, when I lay in bed at night next to Aretha, my wife, the Holy Ghost is more real to me than she is. Now, that doesn't mean he couldn't reach his hand over and touch her. It means when he's laying in bed, he got quiet. Be still What's the rest? And know that I'm God. Now, the word know doesn't mean be still and have some more intellectual doctrinal knowledge about God, the God that you know about but have never met. It doesn't mean that. It means when you're still, your spirit can experience him. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 15, which is one of my favorite verses, he said, 
in the same, well, he said, as the Father knows me, even so I know him. The word as is a preposition. It means in the same degree and under the same conditions. So what he said is in the same degree and under the same conditions that the Father knows me, I know the Father. Now, he's not saying that as God, the Son. He's saying that as the Son of Man, just like us. So he's saying it's possible for a man to know the Father in the same degree and under the same conditions that the Father knows you. Now, insert in there the word experience, and now it makes sense. In other words, I'm never going to know how many hairs on the top of his head, but he knows how many are on the top of mine. He's not talking about that kind of knowledge. He's talking about the experiential knowledge. The Amplified said of one of the prayers in Ephesians about that we would have a spirit of wisdom or revelation in the knowledge of God. It says knowledge without experience is mere knowledge. Like, why do I read the Bible if it's not for me to experience what I'm reading in the Bible? It not only fortifies me with a foundation that doesn't get me off, but it provides a manifestation for me to go forward. That's why I say we've got to get used to letting God come off the pages and get into your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I've told this before. I'll tell it again for the sake of context. I was studying on my Bible program. Did I say this the other night about, about my Bible program and, and, and putting in the word? I don't think so. So I was wanting to say, well, I'm going to study on fasting. Not that I want to do it, I just want to study on it. <laughs> One thing to study on, it's another thing to do it, isn't it? Just like anything else. So I put in, can you follow my fingers? F-A-S-T-I-N-G. Jim can type. And I hit send, and it came up, believe. And I thought, that's odd. So I went ahead and moved the cursor up, clicked out on it, went F-A-S-T-I-N-G. And it came up, believe. I said, that's odd. I mean, that's really weird. Why did it do that? So I put the cursor up, clicked on that, and it went F-A-S-T-I-N-G. Send. Believe. And I said, all right. I see what you're doing. <laughs> Took me three times to figure it out. It's the blonde hair. You know, I got a blonde hair joke the other day from Mark. Hankins, thank you very much. I've always enjoyed the fact when you tell a blonde hair joke about women, but he went ahead and made a blonde hair joke about men. I didn't enjoy that too much, so ladies, from here on out, I won't enjoy the blonde hair jokes about you. Amen. Three blonde men. It's like, whatever, Ted, you know? Anyhow, here I am, and believe it. I said, okay, I see what you're doing. You're messing with my computer. I said, that's all right. I said, so I'm a little slow, but what you want me to do is obviously read something about believe, not something about fasting. So I'll go ahead and read it. And it was vines. And it was about Genesis chapter 15. Pastor Mark talked about that unique chapter there where, you know, God had already given Abraham the promises, but Abraham came to God and said, how do I know that I'm going to have a child? And God said, go out and look at the stars and see if you can number them. Now, I love this. He gave him something that he already knew how to do. That's a whole other sermon, but isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't use Scripture on the normal people? He used Scripture to straighten out devils and to straighten out what? Pharisees. But guess what he did to the normal people? He talked to fishermen about fish. He talked to iron workers about iron. He talked to Mary and Martha about what? You know, food and preparation, right? 
What did he do? He related to individuals where they already had a connection to something because in the way you connect to anything is the same way you connect to God. So if somebody says, I get that, then immediately you can connect to the spiritual reality. So what did God give Abraham to do? Something real difficult, like, you know, when you can tell me the theorems, you know, and, and all, the, all the theories that go along with geometry and calculus, and, and he's like, I don't even know that. See, that, would, that wouldn't be a loving God. That, that would be a taskmaster, you know what I mean? Setting you on a task to learn something first before you can even have his love or his help. No, guess what he said? Go out and look at the stars. Why was that something Abraham do? Because he was a moon worshiper. So if you're gonna worship the moon, you probably see the stars. It was easy. He made it easy for him to connect. And after he connected and believed, the Bible says God put it on his credit as righteousness. Remember that? So the vine said this. Listen closely. Abram did not believe in the impersonal word of God. He believed in God himself. What does that seem to indicate? When you allow God to be real, everything he says then becomes reality. But as long as you're looking at something that's just a word without allowing the Holy Ghost to bring the revelation, you can have knowledge without experience. Thank you, because it was really blessing me. <laughs> but you're all really staring at me, except one little whoo. Amen. Thank you. See, this is a part of what? Letting God become real. So Christ is in you. What? The hope of glory. What does that mean? The ability to use his glory. Now, I don't have time for this. I'm going to throw this little piece of meat out. The glory of the Christ after the cross is different than the glory of the Christ before the cross. We are connected to the resurrected and glorified Christ. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's really simple when you see it through these particular eyes. Jesus was the last Adam. What do you mean by that? Well, if God was pleased with the Adam's family, he would have been the second so that we could have been the third and fourth. The Adam's family really got weird. There were things and its and... Huh? God wanted to do away with it. He wanted to kill it. So he brought Jesus as the last of the Adams so that when he went into the ground, he buried that family and came out as the resurrected and glorified Christ that as many as would receive him, to them he would give power to become what? Sons of God. Amen. Not born of blood, will of the flesh, will of man. So what did he say right there? He took away everything that you identified with and he said, you are born of God. Flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Amen. Just like your daddy. Amen. We wonder why Jesus would say, the works I do, you shall do also, and greater shall I do, shall, shall you do because I go unto my father. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into, everybody say into, into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, this is the first thing I want you to see here is God created us in such a way that spirit can come into you. Amen. You need to see that. Amen. Spirit can come into you. Now, 
I remember one time we were in Dallas. We never really liked Dallas too much because we had to go down there quite a bit because of all of our volleyball games. And Dallas is in a, a continual rebuilding and there's constant construction everywhere. It's kind of like years and years ago, I traveled through Atlanta, and you never went through Atlanta without being in the midst of construction. Well, the same thing was for Dallas. So there'd be new roads that, you know, the GPSs wouldn't even understand which one they're on yet. And you'd be like panicked because it's nothing but solid traffic, and everybody's going 20 miles over the speed limit. You know, it's crazy. But here we are at this real nice hotel, getting ready for, you know, volleyball, uh, you know, uh, all the, all the stuff that goes with it, which was really fun. And Erin opens up the blinds, and she looks out, and we're really up high, and she says, oh, my goodness, there's one of my favorite stores right there. So I came over to look, and I can't see a favorite store. I'm looking all around. I said, what store are you looking at? And she says, right there. I said, which one? She says, that one. I said, it says container. She said, yeah, that's one of my favorite stores. Yeah. A container store? She said, do you want to go? No. <laughs> what, what's, in a, what's in a container store? Well, that's a stupid question. Containers. So I was a good husband. I went. And you walk in, and it's nothing but blue ones and red ones and green ones and yellow ones. There's big ones. There's fat ones. There's small ones. There's deep ones. There's shallow ones. That's it. And she loves it. Let's go get a container. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. God made the perfect container. Come on, think about it. If we were too porous, God would go, and we've got them right out the other side. He'd be like, that didn't work. It went in, but it went right back out. If he made us too plastic, you know what I mean, where there wasn't enough pores, he would have, and it would have come, we would have come right back into his face. He made us so perfect that he could breathe us in, and we're going to look at a verse of scripture right here now. Come on over, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. He could breathe us in. We could go into that container, and then you're going to see something about the next part. As we went in, we can also come back out. Spirit can go in you, and spirit can come back out of you. Come on, there's an anointing in this room right now. Some people are getting touched as we speak. Amen? Some of you that need a new kidney. Some of you that need a new liver. Amen? Some of you that need a new gallbladder. Some of you that might need some new circulation. Amen? Hallelujah. Man, if you've had your wife ever put her feet on you when you weren't ready for them to be put on you, and they were icebergs in bed... And you had to jump and say, what was that? That was about my third night on our honeymoon. I jumped. I said, what is that? She said, that's my feet. I said, really? Are you breathing? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, no one's feet can be that cold and still alive. I said, did you have your footies on? She said, I had them on. She said, they're so cold. Can I put them there? She put them right there on, the, on that, that, that real sensitive skin of, of, your, of your leg, right there. She said, oh, you're so warm. Can I put them there? And, and you know, what am I to say? I just said, for better or worse, what am I to say? I said, okay, you can keep them right there. Well, 
And now I'm freezing. I got a cold spot on me, right? I was about, you know, two or three minutes short of frostbite. But 30 years will cure that. Now it's stay on your side of the bed. You're too hot. <laughs> Time really does things to you. You know what I mean? Now it came to pass, verse 28, about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James, went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And this is verse 32. And when they were fully awake, they saw his what? Glory. And the two men who stood by him. Remember, our scripture is what? Christ is in you. You get to use the glory. What does this glory look like? Well, God at conception of mankind breathed it into man. And now we find that man can walk around inside a body, but yet also in a time of communion with God, that glory can come out of you and make a halo all over your body. Look at how the Passion Translation says this. Eight days later, Jesus took Peter, Jacob, and John, climbed a high mountain to pray. As he prayed, his face began to glow until it was a blinding glory streaming from him. His entire body was illuminated with a radiant glory. His brightness became so intense that it made his clothing blinding white like multiple flashes of lightning. Verse 32, Peter and his companions had become very drowsy. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the splendor of Jesus standing there and the two men who were with him. Come on, look at the way that they, they describe that. That's you. And remember, the glory of Jesus before the cross is different from the glory of Jesus after. There's a greater degree of glory after. You say, what do you mean? Well, just very, very simply without going into it, John chapter 17, Jesus said to his father in that wonderful prayer, Father, I thank you that I've completed your assignment. I've glorified you. And I've given unto those that you've given me the things that you've given me to give them. Now, Father, now, he's turning his attention to something that's very important. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you at the very beginning. So obviously what he walked in wasn't what he ultimately had. Why? Because he laid it aside to come to the earth as the last Adam, which means he walked in the glory of the first Adam, which is why it was important for Jesus before he went to the cross to fix every single thing that the first Adam messed up. I mean, look at his first miracle. He turned water into wine, and he didn't even want to. What did he say to his mother? What does your concern have to do with me? Mom, leave me alone. It's not my time yet. And you know what Mary did? She grabbed him by the ear and said, Sonny, I've been waiting on this moment for all my life. <laughs> Ever since that angel said unto me that you're giving birth to the Most High. And Emmanuel, God with us, is inside of you. I've been waiting on you. It is your time. It's your time because it's my time. Now, why was Mary so concerned about the wedding? And why did Mary have servants that would listen to her? Can anybody put that together? There you go. Who said it? Coordinate. Yeah, wait. She was a coordinator of the wedding. I'm not making that up. She was. That's why she had a concern. That's why she was looking out for making sure everything was just the way that it should be. When she saw the wine going low, she began to do what? She began to look to what was the option that she had. Well, she didn't have any options because there was no more wine. 
So she went to Jesus and said, now it's time for you to do one of those things that you're going to be doing. You might as well start right here. And he backed out and said, well, it's not my concern, it's your concern. What does that have to do with me? And that's when she pulled the old mom trick on and said, your concern has everything to do with me, so get busy right now. And what did she do? She told the servants, whatever he says, do it. She's not thinking that he's not going to do something. She's making a demand that he does something. That's why she turned to the servant. She didn't say, if he decides to do something, do it. She said, whatever he says, do it, which means he's going to do it. Are you hearing that you're going to do something? And he's going to tell you, so you do what he says, because I've got to coordinate this wedding, and I need more wine. Now, those were the conditions for his first miracle. And he didn't freak out, which is the best part. Why? He's already connected to God. He already had 18 years of every day God coming out of the pages of the book and living in his life where he had one story of God's grace and influence and interaction with his father after another until God was so real to him from the moment he began to take his place as the Christ, everything that his father showed him is what he did and everything that his father said to him is what he said. He was already that proficient at hearing and seeing and working with the Father. Amen. Woo, glory. Hallelujah. Someone's circulation. You can thank me later, sir. Someone's circulation is being healed right now. In other words, there's a blood flow going through your body. You're feeling heat in certain areas where you didn't. And where you've always had difficulty. God's doing that for you right now. Amen? And in just a couple of seconds, prove me wrong. But you won't be able to. You lift your hands and let me know that's you. Who is that in here? God's doing something for someone's circulation. Amen? Right there? Amen? Can you tell something's going on? My feet are warm. Amen. If you got warm feet, brother, amen. You got a warm heart. Amen. What's that? They're not sweaty warm, just warm. Amen. Good. And they probably don't stink either. Amen. <laughs> the Lord knows how to do it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's go a little further with this. So what do we see here? We see that God breathed glory into him, and then Jesus was able to, in a time of worship, that glory came out of him. Do you know the glory will come out of you because the glory has been breathed into you? Every single one of you, the glory will come out of you. But you've got to believe that it will come out of you. You've got to believe that you can use it. Amen? It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to experience your salvation. The moment you begin to experience it, you'll begin to enjoy it. Then it's another thing for you to actually want to enjoy it on a regular basis. And then even again, another thing to take the enjoyment of God on a regular basis and then use it on purpose. The secret, I'm going to throw this out, the secret to the gifts of the Spirit is knowing who you are in Christ. <coughs> What do you mean? The more you know who you are in Christ, the more you will be inclined to step out of your comfort zone and give what you know you do have, which is more than enough to get the job done. And if God needs to help you with a gift, it'll be there to accompany your faith. You don't have to sit back and wait on the Holy Ghost. He's actually been waiting on you. 
Amen? He's always ahead of schedule. He was the originator of knowing how to be on time, which is not when it's supposed to happen, but he's early. That's on time. Does anybody remember that that used to be the way it was? You get there 15 minutes early. You be prepared at the moment that the clock strikes, whatever it is that's necessary for you to start your shift, you're already prepared. You don't just run in when the clock strikes and click your ticket. You're there early. Does anybody remember that? That's the Holy Ghost. He was already warming up the earth before God ever said, light be. Wouldn't it have been terrible to have you know, a dialogue that said, where is he? He's never on time. You just can't count on that guy. Did anybody see him? Somebody send out a search party. And there they find him on some planet, you know, far, far, far away. And he's just having a little lunch all by himself. Did you not realize? Oh, I forgot. Remember? See, there's all kinds of movies that that kind of thing happens. But that wasn't the Holy Ghost. Why? He was in the huddle. On three, break. Where are you going? He's going to where he needs to be in order to warm it up so that when Jesus goes back to take the ball and pass it, the Holy Ghost is already where he's supposed to be to catch it, manifest it, so the Father can look it over and say, hmm, very good. That's how God does what he does. So what's the Holy Ghost doing right now? Come on, the next few minutes, he's warming things up. He's working in this room. I'm not just the one that's preaching. I'm a sideshow right here. The real act is the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He's in this room doing things, warming people up, getting your hearts open to actually do something you normally wouldn't do without knowing that God was going to be involved. Normally wouldn't lift that shoulder. Normally wouldn't turn that neck. Normally wouldn't bend over when you know you can't without excruciating pain. Certainly wouldn't get up and you certainly wouldn't walk. What makes people do this? They know God's involved. Come on, one translation of Hebrews 11.1 one says, now faith is betting your life on the unseen realities of God. I just love that. Why? Because it's like go under, go over. Amen. Go big, go home. You know what I mean? It's like, let's just prove it either to work or not to work. That's how we got the miracles in healing school. It wasn't because I had a gift. If I had a gift, we wouldn't have put everybody in the grave for the first three months. We had four people healed in the first three months, and we didn't know how any of them got it. It's like, oh, that worked. You know how you got it? No, I don't know how you got it. Do you know how it worked? No, I don't know how it worked. Well, we can't duplicate that. Right? But once we started to preach right, and God began to move us into seeing it right, then we started to act boldly in faith because we knew he was going to back us up. Come on, if God was going to back you up tonight with whatever difficulty you've come with, how would you then respond? If God was going to actually get involved, how would you respond? Let me share this story. A friend of mine, his mother, Old, old saint, Pentecostal saint. She's got little skin tags all over her that are cancerous, and they're multiplying. And she's believing God the best she can. And she's up in a hotel room about on the eighth floor, and the hotel room is one that's right on the very end. So two parts of that room are not connected to other rooms. They're connected to the outside of the building. You got it? So one side right here goes to the outside. The other side goes to the outside. The one wall here goes to the next room. This wall here goes to the, to the um, hallway, okay? She's in there worshiping God. Jesus walks in from that side right out there that was in the outside. 
not the hallway, but from the outside. He walks in that particular wall, walks right up to her and says, you know that I am your healer, and turns around and walks back out and vanishes right out that wall. From that very moment, every single one of those little cancerous uh, tags that were on her body, they dried up, and within two or three days, they all fell right off her body. Well, brother, that's what I need. No, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. See, what made the difference? Her soul that was fighting her with the idea that her body had difficulty, and she's fighting with her soul, her soul got out of the way the moment that she saw Jesus. Huh? And the moment she was, he, she was able to get her soul out of the way, what was left but the spiritual condition of God's life and power that abides within the body. Come on, every healing would be easy if you could just get rid of your head. Say it to you another way. Healing is very easy if it weren't for the body. What am I trying to say? It's so easy to yield to your flesh. All right, real quick as we go through a couple more thoughts, start ministering to some people. So what do we know about the presence of God? It'll go into you and it'll come back out of you. In other words, we can send it on purpose. What about Jesus with the woman with the issue of blood? Do you remember that story? What took place in that particular story? That woman knew, heard, all about Jesus. She'd been all these years in a, in a particular condition. She wasn't better, but rather grew worse, and she lost all her money. Does that sound like anybody? Sounds like way too many people. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him, and there was a whole crowd that was pressing around him and touching him, and she said, if I could only but touch the hem of his garment. Why did she just want to touch the hem of his garment? Because she did not want to be noticed. How come? Because she was someone that was unclean, and in that day, they put her on one part of the street corner so that no one would go there. They quarantined her. I guess we know a little bit about that in these days. Maybe she had to wear a mask. Who knows? So when she crossed the street, it was the point of no return. Does anybody hear that? Do you know why you sling blood and it works? Not because you sling it. You say, what are you talking about slinging it? That's Pastor Mark's sermon about the blood, the importance of being able to say, thank God for the blood. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for the blood. I plead the blood. Well, you know the reason why it works? Because of the rest of the verse. They love not their lives unto death. When you're willing to put yourself in a position where it doesn't look good on purpose, knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost is with you, and there is no way you can go under, and there's no way that you can fail, that's when you don't have to fail. But as long as you hang on to the world just in case it doesn't work, that does not constitute faith. A.W. Tozer said it like this over 100 years ago. He said, real faith is where you put yourself on purpose in a position where you can't go back. Pseudo-faith is where you have a way out just in case God fails you. In other words, on purpose, I'm going to put myself here and where I can't even get back if I wanted to. So now I'm here. Now let's get it on. Amen. Live or die. I love what R.W. Shanbuck did having a heart attack on the Jersey Turnpike. Instead of going to the hospital, he just turned over to the side of the road, got out of his car, started running and said, let's see if you can kill me. And he ran a quarter of a mile, ran back a quarter of a mile, got in his car and said, I knew you couldn't kill me, and went on to his meeting. Just the audacity to dare the devil, knowing that he's nothing, has nothing, can do nothing. He's a liar, and Jesus said from his conception he's a liar. 
So the woman touched Jesus. What happened? She felt in her body. Something came out of him when she touched him. Jesus felt something being released from him. It's called virtue, which is what? The substance of his being. What is that? That's the same thing he came to give you and give it to you in abundance. What was that? Eternal life? Did you think that was your passport into heaven? Did you think that was your chariot ride? No, eternal life was what? The very quality and substance of what makes God, God. He infused it inside of your very blood, inside of your spirit. Made a brand new creation. Took two and made one brand new kind of human being. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. He made you so perfect, so holy. Say, well, brother, don't we have to get holy? No, that's not something that you can make yourself. That's something that God makes you. God made you so holy, he put the Holy Ghost inside of you. No, it wasn't the dirty ghost. It wasn't cash with a friendly ghost. It was the Holy Ghost that came to live inside of you, which means you have to be holy on the inside. That's something that redemption does for you. Makes you so perfect, makes you so holy that God could literally step inside of you. And the new creation is not God just walking with you like he did with Adam. The new creation is God living inside of you, and he brings his glory with you so that you can use the glory for your benefit and for your advantage. Now, real quickly, I'll just start to end some thoughts here. But you look through Scripture and you see what different ones did. Jesus used the anointing on fish. I don't know why we've tried to improve all kinds of fishing gear. I thought his method was really good. He just said, drop it on the other side. And his words went into the water. When Peter said, as a professional fisherman, the time of the day does not constitute us being out here and launching out into the deep. There's no fish out here. They're in the sides, in the banks. We've already been out here at the right time. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll do what you said. Well, the word was something that was not only obeyed by Peter, but it was obeyed by the fish. When he spoke it, the anointing rallied all the fish on purpose to jump into the net. Didn't have to make the nets do something. They jumped into the net. Does that not show us we make things difficult? In other words, how many options do we possibly go through when we could just go straight to God? Do you know how many people I've heard say in this manner after they've done every single thing and multiple doctors and got to the point where the doctor said, there's nothing that we can do. And they said, I've gone to every single person. I'm going to have to believe God. <laughs> and usually to those people, I said, well, finally, you're in a place to get healed. Well, what do you mean? Well, you had to come to the end of yourself so you can let God just be God. Well, I could die. Well, then choose which one you want. Doesn't have to be that difficult. John Lake made an amazing discovery, someone that had so many healings in Spokane, Washington, that they dubbed that city the healthiest city in America, over 100,000 documented healings. That's why in our healing center, we will get to the place where we're going to have a laboratory attached to us so that we can prove every single healing. I'm after something. I'm after this ridiculous world that thinks it can put the church in a category of non-essential. I'm after that. put so many documented healings out on social media until somebody has to actually own up to it. 
I mean, if I didn't have my wife over there to help temper me, I would have already gone crazy on social media with a bunch of idiots that when I, when I put my advertisement out there for our healing centers, said things like, yeah, he'll pray for you if you give him enough money. Scam artist, scam artist. And I'm wanting to say, you don't even know me. And the scriptures say that if you answer a thing before you know it, you're a fool. So you fool, well, I dare you to come to the meeting and prove me wrong. I'm wanting to do this. She said, you can't do that. You can't do that. She hold my hand, but you can't do that. I'm wanting to do it. I'm wanting to do it. I even went to my own little room and started to do it. And then I thought, if she finds out, you know what I mean? It's not going to be good. That's when you're laying in bed at night and the Holy Ghost isn't as real to you as your wife is. <laughs> Look at what Jesus did with the fish. Come on, go further. Look at what he did with bread. Look at what he did with wine. Come on, look at what some of the Old Testament prophets have done, and here we are, sons of God. They didn't have a consciousness like we did, but they understood a principle. The Spirit of the Lord came upon them. They believed him to be upon them, which gave them an advantage to do things that normal people wouldn't do. I mean, if you lost your axe head and it was in the water, and you wanted to get a new axe head, what would you do? You'd probably go to the True Value Hardware store and take the ministry credit card. And if we were out of money, we'd at least say, take mine, it's, really, it's very new, and we'll tell the guy we lost yours, and we'll work real hard until we can get him a new one. We would do anything within our own strength to try to solve the problem. What does Elisha do? He says, get me a twig. Can you imagine the guy's face and what he was thinking while he was going away? A twig, are you kidding me? Was the guy, is the guy like, I, I mean, why am I even in this whole band of, 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 of prophets if this is the guy that's leading the show? I'm going to get a twig. For what am I getting a twig for? You can just hear the guy just kind of thinking out loud. Okay, I got a twig. I got a twig. I got your little twig here. Is this the little twig that you were wanting? Here's your twig. Take that little twig right there. And Elisha takes the twig, puts it in his hand, and the anointing that is in the mantle that's on him, which means it's now in him, goes into the twig. Remember, the power of God goes in, and the power of God can come back out. So what's on him, even if it's not in him, what's on him can get smeared on somebody else. I always hated the games of basketball pickup when years ago we always played shirts and skins. Because my whole life, I, you know, I, can, I can work real hard and sweat a quarter of what other people sweat. You know what I mean? And just invariably, you know, I'd be shirts and there'd be some really big guy there and you'd go up for a layup and you'd be up like this and he would come and stand in front of you and you'd come down his whole body. And you're like, oh my God, I think I even tasted that. Oh, oh. He slimed me. Come on, Elisha had been slimed. So everything he touched, now take that twig and he's going, oh my God. Because now it's dripping, you know, it's slimed. And he put it in the water, and what Elisha put on the twig magnetized that twig to the axe and the iron, and it came to the surface. Would you have thought of that? Let me ask you, just be honest. Would you have thought to do that? No. So see, where is the ceiling of your faith? It's at the place of whether or not you conceptualize something bigger than what you've already experienced. 
And so if you've already experienced not what you want to experience, then you've capped yourself unless you can have what? Unless you can have a bigger consciousness to see something beyond what you see. Isn't that the reason why Paul said, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above, infinitely beyond your highest prayers, thoughts, desires, hopes, and dreams, according to the power that works in you? See, you don't have to jumpstart this power and get it to work. It's already working in you. There's glory in you that's waiting to come out of you and do something you can't do on your job, with your family, with your husband and wife, amen, wherever you're at in your body, the power of God is looking to do something, but you've got to release that power by faith. Now faith is betting your life on the unseen realities of God. Look at what Jesus did. He went from one progression to the next progression to the next progression until he met death face to face in a little girl that had been dead just a few minutes and her body was still warm and he raised her up and then he went for the next progression which was a young boy who had been dead a couple of days and he was in a funeral procession. Remember in those days they didn't have preservatives like we do. Hostess cupcakes. (laughs) Twinkies. All kinds and varieties of cakes and yummy things that don't have one ounce of nutrition in them. Chemicals, orange chemicals, brown chemicals. Don't you just love this Twinkie? Come on, we were eating these things years ago, but no one knew how bad they were, so we never suffered. It wasn't until somebody told us that there's nothing good in there, and then we started to die from them. (laughs) It's just like before anybody knew if you thumbed a ride, you wouldn't get abducted. We thumbed the ride all the time. And then when people thought if you thumb a ride, you could get abducted, and then we stopped, then people started to, you know what I'm saying? We drank from the same hose, a whole football team. Yes. And there was always somebody to put it in their mouth. And you're like, come on, man. And we never got sick. Huh? I said we never got sick. We didn't know enough to stay home when we were, you know, and sneezing on people. And people didn't get sick. And if they did get sick, your parents would always say, you're fine. Wouldn't they? Did anybody have the mustard plaster on your chest? Did anybody have that when you were young? To draw out the heat? It wasn't even Vix. She went to the pantry. It's good for you. You'll be fine. I'm not going to sleep a wink. You gotta love the old timers. They never bought into it. My dad throws me a pass in the front yard and there's the light pole. And I'm running like this and come like this, catch the pet, and I'm on my back. The only thing that saved me was it was Halloween so there was all kinds of corn stalks around it. I'm sitting there seeing stars. He walks through and says, you're good, let's go, another pass. Your arm's hanging like this. He said, it's fine, let's go. You know, you know what we're talking about, our little grandson. Hilarious. 
You know, I taught them while we were here in April, I taught them how to catch. This throw wasn't so good. You know, sometimes it would go over there. Now it's a whole lot better. Now he even stands. I mean, he's just, what is he, 18 months? He just stands in a perfect position and throws it. It's really good. But now grandpa has to go there next week to teach him how to catch again. They're not staying with it. <laughs> so he's a funny little kid because whenever something happens where he could cry, he'll get this blank look on his face like, And you can see him thinking. Like if somebody were to tell me right now that I'm hurting, I would cry. But if somebody could tell me right now it's going to be okay, it'll be okay. So he's holding a football, and he tripped, and he falls right on the ball, on his stomach. Of course, he's only this high. On his stomach, rolls over and bonk his head on the hard floor. And instead of getting up, saying anything, I got a picture of him. He just froze. Head, belly on, on the ball, head on the floor, froze. And you can see if you take the picture, his eyes are open, so he's thinking. I looked at Drew, and she just immediately put her hand over her face because she was going to laugh. And I said, we both said at the same time, oh, Theo, you're great. Get up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here I am in the Raymond Singers and Band. I'm coming from a Baptist. So I'm not even Baptocostal yet. Close. <laughs> Leaning toward it, but not fully. Everything's new. Everything's new. <laughs> These people dance in the Holy Ghost. I want to do that sometime, but I wasn't yet brave enough to do it. So I wanted to pick a place where no one could see me, but then that never existed. So I had to jump in one day, and I became a little more Pentecostal, little by little by little. So now I'm in the group, and because I was one that used to work out, used to is the word, so I was stronger than most everybody else, so they said, we're going to assign you to the prophet. Make sure you don't drop the prophet. Well, in the Baptist church, we didn't have those. So my immediate you know, thought was, I thought this was a nonprofit organization. <laughs> so I said, what prophet are you talking about? And they said, well, Brother Hagin. I said, he's a prophet? And they said, yes. I said, oh my goodness, you have those? Because see, in the Baptist church, all we had was the pastor, we had missionaries, and we had ev evangelists. Is that me? I don't feel like I'm doing anything to make that happen. Is that Chuck? No. So they explained to me, I said, why would Brother Hagin fall? They said, well, the anointing gets in his legs especially, and he'll get real wobbly. So if you see him start to wobble, you got to get up there. So I'm thinking, wow, this is a really awesome responsibility. And so the first time that I was able to fulfill my duties was at camp meeting with 20,000 people. And all of a sudden, he's at the platform, and he would do things like this. He would hold on to the He'd start laughing. Uh, 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 and he would go like this. Uh, and then he would go like this to the side. Uh, 
and then we'll go like this, this uh, uh, and I'm thinking, if you just move your legs a little bit, you'll be fine. <laughs> and so it was always Ray Jean, you know, and he just he slapped me and said, that's your cue. Don't let him fall. So I ran up there and got behind him. He's right here. I got behind him, and I just was so close to him. He said, how come you're so close? Because he had skinny little legs and a big belly. <laughs> Weebles wobble and don't fall, but Brother Hagen would. You see, if you didn't hook him low, amen, and grab a hold, you were going to go with him. So I got real close. And then when he would move, I would move. When he would move, I would move. And then he said this. He said, well, as you can see, he said, the anointing of God is down there in my legs. He said, I can't come down. He laughed some more. Can't come down there to minister to you. So I'm going to have some of these young folks here in the group minister to you. And he called Annie. Now, I've seen that happen before, but it wasn't in that kind of a condition where I had to be behind him. He called Annie. Well, Annie Durant, one of our best friends, she gets up and she walks up with her hands out just like this because she'd done it before. He comes right up to her and he puts his hands in her hands and he says, now take this and down to the people and minister to them in the name of Jesus. And she walked on like this and started going down to where the people were. Well, he would usually use Dean, who is the drummer, and the drums were always behind in direct, you know, symmetry to the pulpit. So, there, so I didn't think of that. All I'm thinking about is, is there are 10,000 people in this room. There's 20,000 people at camp meeting, and they're all staring at this, this young kid that's right behind Brother Hagen, and I'm just trying to not drop the prophet. Okay, that's all I'm thinking about, all right? And he turns around, and we're nose to nose. <laughs> And it scared him because he wasn't thinking that that's what was going to happen. So when he turned, he goes, ah! <laughs> and when he got scared, I went, ah! <laughs> so I couldn't think of moving away. I just moved to the side. <laughs> and he slowly moved to the same side. Have you ever done one of those things where you dance and trying to get away? I moved, and he moved, and now we're still staring at each other, and I'm really in his way, and he's trying to see Dean, so I quickly moved over here, and being so much faster than him, I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and here he came. In other words, I'm over here, like 30 seconds before you get here, just stay there. But he came over here, it was one of those, like, and so now he's looking at me here, and he made a grunt to me, like, Ugh. It's like, I'm trying. <laughs> so I finally backed up, still not out of his way. And he did one of these. He looked down like this. And then he said, all right, I guess you'll do. <laughs> okay. He said, put your hands out. I put my hands out. And he put his hands in my hands, and he said, now take this. And when he said this, something went in my hands, and I flinched because it was tangible. He said, take this down to the people and minister to them in the name of Jesus. That's all I needed to hear. But then he leaned in like this, looked me in the eye, and said, make sure you use the name of Jesus. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, did you think I was going to say in the name of Peter, John, <laughs> Ted, Fred? I read your book. I graduated from your school. Okay, you'll do. Has to tell me twice. 
it must have been the hair. <laughs> so I walked away, and now I don't know what to do with my hands. Am I going to offend the Holy Ghost if I put him in my pockets? Because <laughs> he's in my hands. You know what I mean? You cross your arms. What do you do? So like an idiot, I held my hands out like a platter <laughs> and walked over to the stairwell and walked down. And the moment my feet touched the floor, now I've got to walk at least all the way over to where this other row is over there in the front just to get to the people because that's how the stage was set. The moment my feet hit the floor, what was in my hands began to beat like a heartbeat. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. There's something in my hands. And now as I got close to them, it went out of my hands and came up like an oven mitt. Now, do you think it was easy for me or difficult? What do you think? Difficult or easy for me to lay hands on the sick? What do you think? Why do you think it was easy? Because it was so real. I went to lay hands on the first person and I put my hand up like this. The moment I did, the power of God came out of my hand. Somebody said it looked like fire came out of your hands and hit them on the top of the head. And they fell violently. It wasn't one of those little. <laughs> we caught thousands of people in Brother Hagen's meetings. We were not smart enough like they do today, where they have one person catch one person, and they have 10 guys up there that are big and strong, and they just keep rotating. It was just me and Keith Holliday, Jim Hockaday and Keith Holliday. He got the heads, I got the body. <laughs> Amen. And we were good at what we did. We get in real close, I catch that body, pass him off to Keith, he'd get the head like that. Well, Brother Hagen didn't always just go just at this speed. Sometimes he'd go, oh, 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 and he'd start running. So, <laughs> <laughs> And if somebody would dare, well, I don't got time for that. <laughs> so it was a perfectly placed knee in the back of their leg. It was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and you just keep on going. There were times I caught jackets and no one was in them. One time, I caught hair, and no one was in it. And for a split second, I thought, what's the front and what's the back? And for that split second, while I was determining how to get it back on, she went, opened her eyes, and reached up there and grabbed it, and, stuck it, and went right back down. Later on at prayer school, this lady came up. It was a mother of one of the workers at Rama. I could give the name. She's old-time Pentecost. And she always had the most perfect Afro-looking hair, haircut, just perfect, like a globe. It reminded me when I was young in the 60s of that light that came down that had that big, and it had little holes all in it, but it was perfect, you know, but it was on her head. And I came up to her and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And when I did that, she rocked like this and I noticed the whole globe went, 
And I thought, shoot. How do I get that back on without her knowing? I said, come on, everybody. Look at the Holy Ghost touching her. She's going like this. Look at the Holy Ghost touching her. Mama, the Holy Ghost is touching you. <laughs> she never knew. She was so out, but it was back on. <laughs> that guy fell like a rocket. And now I'm starting to lay hands on people, and they're falling like crazy, like just like you're hitting them over the head with baseball bats. And temporarily, I stood back for a moment and looked at my hands, and the thought that went through my mind was, <laughs> just because you're not trying to even be funny, just because that's what I'm loaded. It's like you got bullets. I went to this one guy, laid hands on him, and it felt like something went. And when I laid hands on him, he fell, and the usher that caught him both fell. It's like I went from a pistol to a full-on shotgun. I didn't have any bones about it. I stood back, I looked up to heaven, and I said, give me that one again. That was awesome. And on and on and on it went, where the power of God became so real. That presence is in this room. I went over to Brother Hagin's house. Aaron went with me. We had to wait on Mom as she was getting ready. Brother Hagin was watching some TV. Sometimes he talks to you, sometimes he doesn't. And he wasn't really talking, so we just kind of sat there looking at each other like, you say something, no, you say something. You say something, no, you say something, you know. But I had a prayer cloth. There was somebody that had cancer, and they wanted me specifically to have Brother Hagin lay hands on him. So Mom Hagin came out of the back room, and she greeted us and everything. We hugged her, and she said, Kenneth, turn that TV off. Jim and Aaron are here. Oh, 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 turn the TV. He turned the chair, and he looked toward us and everything, and then we started having a little conversation, just small talk, but nice. The time started getting a little bit late, and I said, I don't mean to interrupt. I said, but Dad, I said, you know, I came here for this cloth. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, bring that cloth over here right now. Well, instead of giving him the cloth, which I don't experience anything, I said, just lay hands on it right here, and I had the cloth right on my hand. So he went ahead and put his hand on, man, I feel, I feel that power right now in my hand, and you'll understand why. He put his hand on that cloth. Mom put her hands on his hands. Aaron was right there to put her. I think she put her hands on me or something. And, you know, it's all on this cloth right here. He begins to pray. Now, listen, listen very closely to what he said. Because my whole purpose of holding on to that is, when does the power come out of the hand? I need to learn this. I'm doing his thing. Healing school. So I need to learn this. And he said, Lord, I thank you for the power. I thank you for healing. I thank you for the children's bread. And nothing's happened. We give you praise, Lord Jesus, you know, for your death, burial, and resurrection and what it means to us to have healing in our bodies. Nothing's coming out. And then he switched gears and he said this. He goes, and now, Father, see, switching gears. Thank you for the anointing you have anointed me with. Pfft, power went right into my hands. I thought, oh my goodness, look at what he just did. He switched gears to when Jesus put his finger into each one of his hands, and he, 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 he remembered it, and in his memory, brought him right back into the same power and same experience. That's why Jesus told him when he laid his hands and his, his fingers in his hand, tell the people that I saw you. Tell the people that if they'll believe that I saw you, and that I put my hands into your hands, and that that power then will come out of your hands and go into their body and make a healing and a cure. In other words, notice, notice how important it is for you to remember, for you to tell it. Come on, think about this. My grandmother was an amazing storyteller, and she would sometimes cry 
laughing so hard at where she was going, but we didn't know where she was going. And we'd always say, Grandma, come on, tell us where you're going. And she would laugh. She said, she'd just be crying. And we had to wait until she could simmer down to tell us. And then when she told us, she'd laugh all over again. Why? She brought back a memory that touched her soul. How much more when you begin to remember, look what the Lord has done for you. Look what he's done for you. Come on, that's what Sarah did. She laughed at the promise, but then she began to consider him who is faithful. And when she began to consider him, he became so real. She said, yes, I believe. So shall it be. That's what's in this room right now. I'm so confident that this power come out of our hands. How do you know that? Jesus breathed it in, or God breathed it in, and Jesus released it out of him. We were made for this. This isn't something you have to try to do. Amen? It's just like being a sheep. I don't like the comparison. Do you? Bah. I don't like it. But I saw a video of a bunch of sheep in a pasture over in Ireland or Scotland. And all these, you know, visitors, you know, they got out of their bus and they were kind of trying to get the sheep, here's sheep, you know, trying to get them. And the sheep weren't paying attention to them. In fact, very opposite. The sheep were actually looking that way, which means something else was looking at the people. <laughs> Don't mean to be rude, but put, put it together and you understand exactly how the sheep were standing. They were standing in this direction. The people were over there. And they didn't even lift their head to their voice. Why? Sin speaks a dead language and means nothing to me. My father speaks my mother tongue, and I hang on every word. That's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. As soon as the shepherd came into the flock and he said one thing, every little sheep lifted their head and looked at him and pranced over to him. And all of a sudden, I got it. I got it. I got it. Now I know why I'm a sheep, because it's in my DNA as a sheep to hear him to know him and to follow him. That's not something I have to learn how to do. It's a part of being a son and daughter of God. Innately within you, you hear his voice, you know him, and you follow him. You don't have to work on that. That's something as the way he made you. And so it is by being a human being made in these bodies. The anointing was made to go to the container store. I guess God likes that too. And he made you a container to receive of the anointing and to reveal the anointing back out. Miss Cody, you've had that book on your lap for a while. Let me just pick this up for a second. Woman to a woman, let me put it to your cheek and tell me if it's frigid cold or if it's what? It's warm. She goes, it's warm. Why do you think? Because she's living. Isn't that interesting that it came out of her, went into that book, and I could take it to this cheek, and it came out of the book and went into her skin. You just found out what divine healing is all about. You don't have to worry about receiving healing tonight. You are made to receive the anointing. God made your body to absorb. Come on, bounty the quicker picker-upper. You were made to absorb the presence of God. Is there anybody in this room you've had some bad report, like from some sickness or disease, the doctors don't give you a lot of hope, whether it's chronic or, or whether it's, uh, uh, what's the other word? Terminal. Is that you, sir? Would you come on up here? We're going to kill that. Amen. How do you know that? Because something's going to come out of me and go into him? Amen. 
And once it goes into you, it's going to drive that out of you. Amen. How much faith did he have to have? Enough to get up here? Enough to lift his hand? Isn't it interesting Jesus went ahead to the whole faith problem and said, just have enough as a, uh, a mustard seed and you can get rid of a mountain. Maybe what he was saying is, there aren't as many mountains as you think. In fact, actually, after I got through leveling the devil, I took all the mountains out. So all you really need is a speck for nothing. I said, all you need is a speck for nothing. Yeah, but the doctor said it's cancer, but it's really nothing. If the devil has nothing, then his value is zero. Come on, everybody say it. The devil's a zero. How does he ever get value? How does he get numerical value? You give him your power. You make a to-do of something that God's already finished, annihilated, destroyed, removed, but you just build a mountain of it. You get your Google out, like, like Pastor Mark had said the other night, you get your Google out and you figure out so much about your problem and your situation that you build numbers toward the devil. And now you're in a fight because he actually has something to actually fight you with. As long as it's nothing but a fabrication and a lie, you're on top because you're healed. You're not the sick trying to be healed. You're the healed that doesn't have to be sick. The position is really in your favor. Does anybody say amen to that? Come on, it's already 9 o'clock. We've already used way too much time at the same time. I'm just fit to be tied to see you guys get healed and whole and made well right here, right now. Amen. For sir, what, what, uh, what are you needing God to do for you right now? I've been diagnosed with early Alzheimer's. You've been diagnosed with early on Alzheimer's. Is that right? All right. I just thank God right now. He's going into your mind, into whatever part of your nerve and your memory bank. Amen. And driving that thing out of you. In fact, you'll remember so much in the next couple of minutes that you won't have time to forget. That sounded actually pretty good. I'm going to say it again. You'll remember so much in the next few minutes, you won't have time to forget. I'm going to say it one more time because I didn't come up with that, but I really like it. You're going to remember so much in the next couple of minutes, you won't have time to forget. That's it right there. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be healed and be whole. Amen. Come on up. We'll be right with you. Yes, ma'am. Doctor's trying to say something? Yeah, trying to say I should have been dead seven months ago. Said trying to say you should have been dead seven months ago. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Totally wrong. Amen. And so we've got the upper hand in this. So we're not going to pray for you. We're not going to believe with you. We're just going to kill the sickness. Amen? It's just really simple. Because if I'm praying with you and believing with you, then we're over there trying to get something that Jesus already got you. Amen? We just might as well go act like Jesus would. Isn't it interesting? Jesus looked at people with withered hands and said, stretch out your hand. Well, there you go. I'm giving you my... No, he didn't say stretch out your arm and give me your, your withered hand. He said, stretch out your hand. How come he could say that? Because in the presence of the anointing, there are no withered hands. Huh? Notice how much he built up, you know, with that, with that little girl, Tabitha, when she was dead. I mean, he got into his crotty position, amen, and he began to really make a big to-do of it. No, he didn't. He just said, honey, can you, and, you know, one time I was actually preaching this, and I said, can you smell the bacon? Well, no, that would have been wrong because they didn't have bacon. <laughs> amen. It was kosher. You know what I mean? But, but, but guess what he did? Come on, she's sleeping, he said. She's sleeping is what he said. He knew they were going to mock him for it, but he's not, he's not approaching this situation as though the problem even is an issue. Come on, my good friend down in, down in actually, uh, Mark Hankins knows this guy really well, ran with him years ago, Buzzy Sutherland. You know, in ninth grade, he said, they tried to teach me the algebra. 
I like that he even made it the algebra. It was, it was a thing. It was something, you know. He said, I couldn't understand all the X's and the Y's having numerical value. And on the end of the final exam, it said X plus Y equals 49. He said, I got so happy, I went up to the teacher, put my, my exam paper on the desk, and I said, if I, as long as I got the 49, what do I care what X and Y is? And you know, the real truth of the matter is, if you've got the answer, it doesn't matter if it's 48 plus 1 or 52 minus 3. And on and on and on, you could go with multiple situations or problems, but if you got the answer, what does it matter if you've already got the what? Right? The answer? doesn't matter about the problem. So what did Jesus always do? He always put people into what? The answer. Go show yourself to the priest. Well, why would I do that, ten lepers? I'd have to be healed first. Jesus looked at him as though you are, so go show yourself to the priest. Listen, there's something about Jesus always moving people on to their life instead of keeping them stuck in their sickness.